Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast. Uh, your host, Aaron Cameron, with my co host, Adam Pawatic. This is our episode 11, uh, and it's just Adam and I today, no guest. Uh, we're doing our 2016 year in review. We're going to jump right into it. You know, we've decided just to go through this on a month by month basis and make comments as we go. Uh, I do want to make the the statement that uh, this is an opportunity for Adam and I to prove that we're not just two idiots asking questions in every episode. That we actually do know a little bit about commercial real estate. Although and no more, no more piggybacking. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, hold your judgment because maybe after the end of this episode, you'll you'll still think we're idiots. So on to on to January. Do you want to start there? Yeah, absolutely. And it's been a hot topic all year, but Calgary office space hits 18% vacancy. I think we all know this has gotten worse since then, but in January, you know, that's, uh, that's where it's been. Obviously, it's been impacts through the market, you know, throughout, throughout the year, but that's where it started, 18%. And, you know, by the end of our, our summary, we'll have highlighted where it ended up. Yeah, there's, there's a theme here throughout the next 12 months that you'll find because it's, it's uh, I think that's probably one of the biggest news items throughout the year is just what's happened in the office market across the country, but particularly in Calgary. And if you actually, if you find this topic interesting, we're going to have Shauna Rogowski uh, from Altus in to discuss this in detail for a full hour-long episode uh, likely to be out in February. Yeah, it is really interesting. Are they, you know, just to talk about just wrong place wrong time right I mean, they just there's so much supply coming online still coming online and just zero demand i mean it's going to take them 10 years 20 years maybe even longer to to absorb all of the space that they've got in in that market i mean you almost just pray for 100 dollar oil again just just to lighten some of it even that 100 dollar oil i'm not sure it'll it'll really rectify the problem that much there's just so much office demand and we'll talk about that in one of the future episodes Keep going on our list. Avison Young acquires an appraisal firm, Met- Metrics Ontario, and I'm I'm happy to hear that. Avison uh, Avison Young, uh, Avison Young is um, you know a welcomed a welcomed addition to the appraisal world. Uh, the, the the more reputable firms producing appraisals and the, the more competitive that industry is, uh, the better I believe. It does make sense, obviously, for brokerages to do multi-channel efforts in servicing their clients. Yeah, it drives. Yeah, they, that'll feed. That'll feed the brokerages, and it'll that'll feed the they'll it, in return will feed the the appraisal business. Nexus Crowd successfully raises five hundred thousand five hundred thousand dollars for a GTA. So so for GTA Industrial Redevelopment in 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 um in a joint venture with Downing Street Realty Partners. You know, when we were doing this research, I I thought that crowdfunding would be a big news item for two thousand sixteen, but it's not. Yeah, I mean, compared to the states, obviously, there's been a lot of activity there. And generally speaking, Canada lags the U.S. by you know a couple of years in, in most uh, you know new ventures. And so I thought as well, this would be an exciting new entry to the market. And it's it's it hasn't it really hasn't played been. out. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember the exact details on that project, but I know the 500k represents a, a very thin slice of the capital stack involved. I guess it's great that they got they got in there, but we're not seeing the kind of you know large large acceptance that they have in the US. Yeah, and I'm I'm a bit oblivious to to the US market and just what's going on there with regards to the crowdfunding, but certainly you do you do some Google searching and there are lots and lots of firms down there doing this and seem to be doing it successfully. 
Also in January, um, Google unveils 185,000 square foot office space in Kitchener-Waterloo. And that's the theme. I mean, KW, that tri-city area over there, Kitchener-Waterloo and Cambridge, uh, and Guelph to a certain degree. And they're just the, the universities, a number of university students, and the focus of those universities on technology. Obviously, the BlackBerry um, sort of started that trend. There's a lot of tech tech startup and, and tech development going on in that in that city. Kitchener used to be kind of the um, the ugly sister to the Waterloo because Waterloo had uh, University of Waterloo and Laurier, but Kitchener has, has gentrified heavily and you're going to see a lot of development going on in that city the next couple of years. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you go to one of those universities? I did, yeah. So yeah. maybe that was just the impression that university students had of the ugly system. No, being no, I, I mean, it's one of those, this is all, everyone has one of those jobs. One of my jobs when I was in university was cleaning sidewalks, um, doing the midnight shift, and I was, I was, you know, power washing the sidewalks of Kitchener, and, and I saw the underbelly of Kitchener at night, and it's, it was, it was a bad, it was a pretty dirty city back then. Not physically dirty, because I was cleaning the sidewalks, but it, there was a lot of seediness <laughs> going on there, yeah. Yeah, glamorous uh, job for sure. <laughs> yeah, I didn't last very long. <laughs> you like lending a little better? Yeah, yeah, it's a much cushier job. The next one, I'm actually going to ask Aaron to comment, but it's uh, Coast Capital opens help headquarters in new Surrey office hub, Surrey driving change of Vancouver City. And Aaron actually just spent a little time out in Vancouver for related to his job at First National. So I can ask yeah, I have a couple. Com- I have a couple comments uh, about this. So one. This particular building, the Coast Capital Help Headquarters, as they're calling it, is a is just a pretty looking building. It's it's um, they've got a sort of green stained glass, these nice sort of clean lines. It's 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 a bit what's what I'm looking for. It's it got sort of these unique angles to each each side of the building. It's just it's it's a, it's a funky but a cool looking building. But the other comment is is Surrey in in particular. You know, I was out there um, last month, earlier this month, just trying to wrap my head around what's going on in the development of the city and, and for First National, just talking to developers and talking to, uh, other lenders about, about what's going on in that marketplace. You know, it's tough living in Toronto. You kind of look over there and you're, how are these prices making sense? How, how is this sustainable? Is it sustainable? But to that point, everybody keeps everyone in the marketplace, you know, no matter who they are, seems to have drank the Kool-Aid. Yes, it's sustainable. Yes, the prices are real. Yes, it's going to keep going. There's no bubble. It's not, you know, we're not going to have some crazy shock unless there is some crazy shock. Particularly about Surrey, what's interesting of the comments that were made to me is that Surrey is one of those cities. I mean, it, just back up a second. Vancouver's got a little bit of these, um, you know, almost fiefdoms, right? There's West Vancouver, there's North Vancouver, there's Surrey, there's Richmond, there's Port Coquitlam, there's uh, Langley. So there's all these little, and they all have their own sort of city councils. And a lot of the city councillors are resistant because of the, the, the movement in the community to approve density, to approve towers. Surrey is not one of them. Surrey has said, you know what? No, we appreciate that there is a land restriction, obviously, in Vancouver, and we need to build up. And so they have been very progressive, uh, very cooperative with the developers to allow them to give them the excess density, allow them to build the big towers. And you see that when you drive through Surrey, there are a lot of big towers going up, and it makes sense. And that that's kind of what that's kind of what we're hearing is that in Vancouver, particularly, it's not a demand issue; it's a supply issue. And part of the and the major driver of that that lack of supply is these city councilors and city councils unwilling to approve the needed density to feed the supply to match the needed demand. And they be responding, I assume, to residents' nimbyism. Ah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. February. Lowe's announces Rona acquisition for $3.2 billion. I'm sure everybody remembers that one. Obviously, it's a Canadian uh, institution being gobbled up by uh, an American American counterpart. Uh, you know, we see it all the time, but that is, a, that is a very large, very large transaction, obviously. 
Yeah, Lowe's Lowe's has done it properly. I mean, it, you, you look at Target. Target did it improperly, right? Target kind of came in, just blasted. I don't know. I can't remember the numbers now. So many stores. Yeah, like something that. absurd. Yeah. Yeah, they just they just kind of came in. It's kind of like you know knocking down doors and just figured they could just make it happen. Versus Lowe's has kind of come in purposefully, you know, established a bound, established a great, um, established a base, you know, established a brand recognition. I know my mother in law prefers going to Lowe's than Home Depot. She just likes the vibe better there. So you know, I think that's something that. The target didn't do very well. They just figured everyone would just love them automatically. I didn't know there was ambiance associated with buying lumber. I, uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to get into that. She's experiencing touch, yeah, no. great. They've done something right. Yeah. Saskatoon office space hit sixteen percent vacancy. You're going to notice a theme here. The words "office" and "vacancy" will probably appear quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know much about Saskatoon. Have you, when was the last time you were there? I was there 2015 uh, for the real estate conference. It's yeah. I mean, Saskatoon's it's a nice city, but it's obviously it's a small market. I know that um, speaking with you know national level investors here, they say they would like to be in that like to be in that market. There's just not that many transactions or opportunities to get in, so they can't build up the critical mass they want to uh, you know really have a presence there. It's still a very you know local investor driven. I think that they kind of suffer from the same thing Alberta does. Obviously, you know, their oil sector is not as not as much of their economy, but still enough that they're having a sixteen percent. Yeah, vacancy. and I'd imagine yeah. that that sixteen percent vacancy is connected directly to the price of oil. Yeah, Dream Office REIT puts one point two billion of assets on the block. This was a big this was a big uh, news item this year, and also related to the words vacancy and office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Also in February. Winnipeg announces $400 million in mixed-use development. Uh, the four towers called the True North Square. I was actually out in Winnipeg uh, twice this year. So the whole song and dance from Winnipeg for the longest time is, is it's supposed to be a steady, eddy market. You don't get the highs, you don't get the lows. Winnipeg's nice and steady. However, in the last couple of years, there has been a big uptick in development and valuations. You know, particular apartments have really shot up in value on a, a per-door basis. And so there's been a ton of development when you're downtown now. There's, you know, there's cranes, there's, there's things going on, there's, there's big plans. So I think you're going to see steady any Winnipeg kind of benefiting from people who are maybe tired of the roller coaster a little further west from them and want to get into that market. It's uh, obviously, you know, a great transit point. There's a lot of things going for Winnipeg. So I'm not surprised to hear that you're starting to see these kind of, you know, these kind of numbers. $400 million development is quite large. Yeah, good for Winnipeg. I think it's benefiting, uh, you know, where Saskatoon and Calgary are losing. You know, Winnipeg kind of benefited from that, that you know, population growth due to people leaving and looking for alternatives, right? And then uh, also in February, Rexall was purchased by uh, the U.S. group McKesson Corp. for $3 billion. I was actually going to ask you how to pronounce that, so I'm glad you uh, took that one on. I, yeah. It's probably wrong. Okay. <laughs> Same, you know, same theme that we're seeing with Lowe's, another Canadian institution being Rexall, uh, absorbed by an American uh, competitor. That's uh, that's the Cates Group um, selling that that uh, the Rexall. They they've done really well for themselves. That family, I mean, they're the, they're the developers of the Edmonton Rogers Center. Um, they own the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, no, yeah. they're doing very well. So. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know the breakdown of that three billion and how much of that is 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 paying down debt and what sort of the net to net to the Cates Group is, but still good for them. Mm-hmm. On to March. So March, more office vacancy news. There was this article that I was I pulled this from, and they were calling these the white elephants. And what they were saying was, 
there are a variety, and I don't know how many, but there are a number of uh, office towers that are brand new, state of the art, near transit. You know, they're well located. Uh, they, they're their they're top end lead uh, envi- meet the lead environmental standards, uh, and yet they are uh, having a hard time attracting tenants. And it may be, you know, and, and again, you got to dig deep on this. It may be that the the developers uh, are looking for um, you know premiums on their rents, and you know they're just maybe missed the market on what uh, tenants are willing to pay for this sort of state-of-the-art type type office tower. But what it, what it came with was, uh, what that article came with, was that the office vacancy in, in Vancouver uh, Yeah, you were going to say you missed, uh, you missed 10%. No, I know. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's so, you know, go go now across the country. You got Calgary, you know, pr- approaching at this point anyway in March. You got Calgary approaching 20% vacancy. Saskatoon's at 18%. Um, you know, and Vancouver's up at 10 So, I'm not sure what to make of that, but it, curious nevertheless that there are these towers out there that are um, you know struggling to find tenants. I was shocked to hear that uh, about Vancouver. I mean, definitely you expect that uh, you know a little east of there. But there's been large office transactions out in Vancouver this year, and I'm surprised to hear that, given that there's a bit of yeah. bit of headwinds in the market. Ten percent is not a catastrophe, but it's a headwind. This was in March, so I, I you know my. Just just from being out there and seeing how vibrant it is, and just trying to trying to wrap my head around the market, I I, I would suspect perhaps it's gone down over the course of the year. Uh, the next one is Edmonton City Council approves another 550 units downtown, brings total to over three billion in downtown Edmonton developments, uh, and market still struggling heavily. Uh, a couple examples are a 45 million dollar Hyatt Place, 180 million dollar McEwen University Center for Arts and Culture, and Stantex 60 story office tower. This is this is a theme too, I and mean, we're only in March, but it, it comes up a variety of times as, as new developments in Edmonton. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll touch on this maybe later in the show. But it, it's it, that's a curious market. I, know, I have not wrapped my head around how Calgary is struggling so mightily, uh, and yet Edmonton seems to be throwing up towers left, right, and center. I mean, to to, to one of the, to one of Adam's comments with that Stantex sixty-story office tower. I mean, that's going to be the largest office tower outside of Toronto in the country. I think it's almost topped out now. They're almost done that that big, huge tower. So it's you know, Edmonton seems to be doing really well, but it, it kind of defies the laws of economics in my mind. But maybe I'm wrong. I think. Well, I think uh, at least the theory that I've I've read is that ongoing projects were not impacted by old prices, and Edmonton benefits from ongoing old projects more than you know new development where you would see. Uh, Calgary being the the big beneficiary, so that's why Edmonton's really stayed the course, whereas uh, Calgary is really taking on the chin. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, certainly Edmonton's a bit more of a government town, and certainly their economy was was slightly more diversified. So I, I appreciate it. It is not a replica of of Calgary. Sure, Winnipeg office market is suffering. Hey, look, more office news. <laughs> And this is really just sort of an anecdotal comment from one of the one of the news sources we were we were pulling this information from, just commenting that Winnipeg used to have a ton of head offices, and I, and I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you know still Manny Life's head offices there, and there's some other life codes, major life codes that have their head offices there. Uh, however, this article was talking about how head offices are leaving Winnipeg and heading to uh, the other major markets, being Toronto, Calgary, Montreal, and Vancouver. And that would have been happening for the last you know, 100 years, back when Winnipeg was the, the big show in yeah, Canada. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Uh, Starwood accepts higher offer from Marriott for $17.8 billion, trumping a bid by Chinese and bank insurance group. I remember reading about this at the time. I'm not sure if we talked about it in the podcast, but that was a bidding war where the numbers just exploded. I, if I, I'm playing this by memory, but I believe it, the initial bids came in at $11, $12 billion, and that made... Very big news, and then you know every 
week or two, there would be an incremental leap of $2 billion to the final sale price of 17.8. I guess it's just testament to how hot hotels are right now. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a big number. If you talk to people who really follow the hotel market, that's an expensive purchase for, for Starwood. I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I, hotels make no sense to me. I just I don't understand them. It seems like a lot of work. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of guys who yeah, live, sleep, eat, breathe commercial real estate, don't get involved in hotels. <laughs> yeah, yeah lender, uh, for the most part, lenders uh, do struggle with, with hotels. Yeah, we're biased. We yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> I don't ever want to run a hotel. I don't want to operate a hotel. No. <laughs> no interest. Yeah. Oh, April. Okay, so this is probably the biggest news in commercial real estate, at least in the Toronto Toronto universe. This was the biggest news. This is uh, Urban Corp files for bankruptcy. And it started, I don't know if you remember reading the papers then, there were... They were all of a sudden, it was like, oh, no, is this the bubble? Is this the start of it? Are we going to see all sorts of developers? Everyone's, you know, developers have gotten themselves too thin. And, you know, how many more are there going to be out there that we don't realize are about to go bankrupt? And turns out, nope, just Urban Corp. They're the only ones in this market where it seemed like nobody could put a wrong foot. They did. They, they were do, they were commingling funds and a bunch of stuff you're not supposed to do. It's uh, But it really stood out. It's a testament to the strength of the market that it was such big news that somebody went broke doing this. You know, in other industries going broke is pretty pretty run-of-the-mill, par for the course. Um, I, I do want to take this opportunity to issue a public service announcement on behalf of our guest from Episode 2. That was Chad Weatherall from Urbicon. 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 Yes, Urbicon. not Urban Corp. I've had uh, 10 people ask me if my buddy Chad, if his company was... In bankruptcy, and the answer is no, Urbicon is doing very well. Urban Corp, not doing so well. <laughs> he thanks you. I'm sure he will. <laughs> um, next here is the, um, oh, so this, I found this interesting. Cara Operations Limited, that's an Ontario-based company, which is actually, interestingly, Canada's largest restaurant company, buys St. Hubert's, 117 restaurants for $537 million. And this was, you know, Cara's continued growth throughout the, the restaurant industry and now, you know, getting some well-wanted exposure to Quebec. I'd never really heard of them. And were you familiar with this with this this company? Definitely, I definitely heard the heard the name in a, in a variety of different contexts. Um, one is they're they're owned by by Prem Watson, who also no, sorry a, a a share is owned by Prem Watson, a sizable share is owned by Prem Watson, and he also owns a sizable share of Prime. So Prem Watson has got a real history of you know looking through the in the crystal ball and predicting future events. He he uh, he wagered heavily on the housing market collapsing as a result of subprime debt. He was one of the few people, um, you know, raising the flag. And he made literally billions of dollars doing so. So maybe he sees a bright future in, in restaurants and retail, something you, know, something you can't deliver via Amazon. So maybe maybe he's got a you know, premonition there. People are always going to want to go out to eat. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, you can't duplicate that over, over the internet. Yeah. Food's not going away. Yeah, <laughs> very popular. <laughs> Yeah, my crystal ball is telling me in 2017, food's going to be big. <laughs> Avis and Young buys another appraiser, Linnell Taylor Littman & Associates, a Calgary-based appraiser. So that's that's two. Avis and Young buys Toronto-based metrics and then a, a Calgary-based uh, Linnell Taylor Littman. So uh, again, it's just it's good exposure, good, or good addition to the, the, the appraisal market. You know, just backing up for a sec, from a lender's perspective, Appraisals are of, are important. I mean, we need to get it. We get an appraisal. We get a new appraisal for every new deal that we do. Um, so First National did 
I don't know, call it call it seven or eight hundred deals this year, which is seven or eight hundred appraisals that we had to collect. And sometimes the quality of the appraisals are not as good as we would like them to be. You know, there are some gaps in the logic of why they pick that cap rate or why they believe the the, the appraisal or why they believe that property is is that particular value. So, uh, you know, having someone like Avis and Young that has that um, sort of reputation as being of quality and doing quality work is just it's just another good addition to the to the appraisal industry. Just in the comment of the range of quality we see for appraisals, I find that when you get into smaller markets, the assumptions about the data they're using it starts to get a little a little uh, unstable, and that's where you see numbers that don't make sense or appraisals we don't particularly like. Yeah, if you're a commercial real estate owner out there and you're looking to get financing, get a good appraisal. Yeah, I'm not definitely. saying that because I'm a lender. I'm saying it because if you get a bad appraisal, then I'm just not going to use it. The lender's just going to basically put it aside and say, well, I'm not going to trust that. I'm going to do my own or I'm going to I'm going to, you know, use my own value to get a good appraisal. If they can support the valuation, you're going to get more money. You're going to get a better loan amount. Yeah. Reading a good appraisal is just uh, it's, you know, I don't want to say a work of art because that's <laughs> a bit of hyperbole, <laughs> but it's great. I mean, you can see just everything flows. The numbers make sense. They connect all the dots through and through for you. And you can really trust that number. And when you see Apache, Apache, you know, unsubstantiated report, you don't trust it at all. It's, yeah, you know, yeah. it makes the process easier, right? If you're, you know, when you when we get a, a poor appraisal, it means I've got to ask more questions. May I have to do my own due diligence? I got to dig a bit deeper because I can't rely on the on the quality, or I can't rely on the appraisal. So getting a good appraisal by by a good reputable appraiser uh, just would make the process easier for you. Yeah. Uh, the next one is RioCan starts construction on a 770,000 square foot mixed use, being retail and residential, space in downtown Calgary. The Calgary market slowdown is exactly why RioCan is moving ahead with the project. Interesting is, and aggressive. Yeah, you know, I, this is just sort of the Ed, Sun, Ed Sunshine magic, I believe. You know, the the article was basically saying, he's like, yeah, no, I, I, of course, you know, Calgary's struggling today, but it won't be in... 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and that's just kind of Rio Can's, you know, mantra, right? They're they're looking for they're always looking for value add. So, you know, good for them. I'm sure they'll I'm sure they'll it'll work out for them. And I've seen nothing about it, but you gotta assume given their relationships that the rent roll, at least on the retail side, is gonna be pretty stacked with names you know, which does offset a fair bit of the risk associated with doing new development in yeah. the market. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know about it either, but I'm sure they've got Walmart on a twenty year lease already locked down or something, right? That just yeah. make it just just drive the, the quality of that development. Oh, more office space news. Uh, this is an Energy Corp. Meg, MEG Energy Corp. Uh, announces that they had to uh, sublet 300,000 square feet. They had signed on for, I think, 600,000 square feet uh, of office space in uh, one of the new towers in Calgary. And, you know, of course, given the, the, the where the oil uh, market is, they just couldn't, they couldn't, they don't need half that space. So now that's another 300,000 square feet of space that's coming online in Calgary. This is in April, so I'm not sure where that is now, but it's just driving that vacancy up. And that's a tough mandate for the for the brokers that got the got the listing. Obviously, your three hundred thousand square foot sublease listing is great, but trying to get through that, you're either going to hunt for one big whale to take it down, which is going to be very rare in that market, or piecemeal it out over the course of you know years. It's uh, that's a tough one. Next one I find interesting: nations, uh, the nation's capital, uh, Ottawa's National Capital Commission uh, approves the Eugene Melnick backed bid for the Le Breton uh, Flats development. And for those that are unfamiliar with Ottawa, that this is a, a parcel of land 
sizable parcel of land just west of the downtown Corn, Ottawa. And it's, um, they're, they're planning a $3.5 billion development, part of which, presumably given it's got Eugene Melnick uh, attached to it, will include a new arena for the Ottawa Senators. And their current arena, I think, is only 20 years old. And in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, out in Canada. And I know that people hate driving out there. They hate the traffic getting back. This will be downtown. And the, the Le Breton Flats... Uh, does include future transit stop. Yeah, so it's going to be this is a very different big experience. win for Eugene Melnick. Yeah. The uh, the big there's there was two bids that came through for that uh, project. Uh, the other one was Candarel and backed by a few billionaires, including Guy Laliberté, who is the founder of Cirque du Soleil. Cool. I'm sure that they put a ton of work into that. How do, <laughs> you know, that's a huge piece of land, and to, you know, to, to submit a bid, you know, you you must have put in years of thought and you know sweat and tears not to win it must be just just crushing well to the, to that end i believe there was originally four bids and then two dropped out maybe realizing the scope of the work involved in trying to win something like this well and i also probably when you start seeing that eugene melnick's attached to one of the groups and you know the draw certainly if i'm a city councilor and one group saying uh yeah i'll do all this and one group saying yeah i'll do all of that and i'm going to build an arena for the ottawa senators to come back downtown and i think that's that's probably the cherry on top. On to May, which is my, my birthday month. The Fortress Real Development Condo Project in Barrie hits a snag. The project was financed by hundreds of contributors to a, for a total of $16.9 million. Fortress had advertised an 8% return on the investments. I believe the the snag was, was cost overruns due to poor weather and a failure of a few of the sub-trades. Yeah, and so, you know... Fortress is uh, more, more this is back to, to crowdfunding, raised the debt through through this crowdsourcing, crowdfunding, uh, hundreds and hundreds of contributors, apparently, uh, for a total of $16.9 million, just under $17 million. We'll, we'll get to it, but but later in the year, Fortress does step in and and, and continue to, 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 to build this project. And, and it sounds like everybody's getting their money back, and Fortress is, you know, continuing to, to keep their... Uh, keep their honor or you know they their honor their obligations to pay these people back what they promised yeah i mean they they have i mean my numbers are a little out of date but i know that they had you know north of 50 projects on the go so they, obviously their reputation risk is <laughs> it needs to it needs to be protected yeah. people need to believe yeah. that if i'm going to invest you in that invest my my $10,000 or my $30,000 with you that 25,000 is the minimum all right so yeah. if i'm going to invest my $25,000 with you that no matter what happens you're going to step in and and give it back to me yeah and uh, yeah, we will cover it later, but they, they did end up doing yeah. that, exactly that. Also in May, more Urban Corp news. The uh, the CEO, Alan Saskin, files for bankruptcy protection. You know, that, I think we covered it, but they're just struggling. I, you know, it, it, I, have a hard, I have a hard time with this. And I, you know, maybe you'd mentioned they were commingling funds and just doing a whole bunch of things they shouldn't have done. But you know, how, how tough is this in a market where things are just appreciating at 10%? Like literally, you can, you, you got a, your margin of error is 9%. Like you can, you can lose you know, nine cents of every dollar you spend and still make a buck or still make a cent on your investment, right? Like it's just for diminishing your positive return. Yeah, yeah, all yeah, it does. yeah. I mean, yeah there's, there's no shame if you went broke in 1991 when half the city went broke. But if you're if you're if you're stepping yeah. out on a, a market like all this, of your all of your uh, your your colleagues and compatriots are making you know nineteen twenty percent on their investment and you're going bankrupt. I just well, I did see exactly that to your point that the value of the real estate 
you know, has gone up considerably that they are getting out clean as part of their part of their bankruptcy. They are going to get out clean in terms of, you know, all their investors just by selling all their assets. Yeah, because they are worth that much because you own if you own a fair bit of land in Toronto, you can't be that bad a position. Uh, and I think this is still being resolved right now, but it looks like everybody will get uh, get, get their out, money back. Intact. Yeah, my understanding uh, is the, the losers are the people that had, that had bought, um, you know, pre condo pre development uh, units that you know said hey after 2 years i'm going to move into this thing and they're buying it at say 2008 prices expecting to move in and or say buying it at 2013 prices expecting to move in in 2016 and they were the ones that were they got their deposits back uh, but they don't actually take possession of the property of the units those units are being resold at today's prices and they basically get no benefit of of those years of appreciation of that unit they thought they owned yeah, it's, uh, that sucks. I mean, there's families out there that basically, you know, they didn't lose any money, but they didn't make the money that they thought they were making on that investment, right? Well, in their mind, they might have already you know made the money. They know they they bought it at this price, and now it's worth as much more. And if you ask them to fill out a net worth statement, they might have included the yeah. The don't be know, surprised uh, if you see yeah. class action lawsuits against Urban Corp saying, "Hey, wait a minute, you know, I bought that for five hundred thousand. You just resold it for seven hundred thousand. Like that's my profit, right?" Yeah. Allied acquires over a million square feet of retail and office space in Montreal for $218 million. We were talking about this actually before we started recording. We were wondering if that was their initial foray to Montreal. We don't believe it is. Uh, we know Allied well because our offices are surrounded by Allied product. They've got a, a large chunk of the strip of uh, King Street just to, just to the west of us. You see their name everywhere. Uh, but I guess they obviously see something in the Montreal market too. Yeah, that was that was one of the biggest news articles or biggest acquisitions of of commercial real estate in Montreal. So that's why we, that's why we wanted to touch on it. Make sure we are we are a national podcast. We want to you know touch on all the major major markets. Uh, we will get to Halifax. They have one they have one news article for the year. <laughs> the next one's a big one actually that everyone in, at least in the Toronto market will, will remember or recall. This is Mankey's Greystone and Treovest buy two hundred sixty million dollars worth of TO waterfront lands, part of which will be the new LCBO tower office tower. That's a good deal, right? That's that's sort of in this new sort of what they're calling the SoCo, like South Court. It's not quite Harbourfront. It's it's not quite Donlands. It's sort of just south of the south of the Toronto core. For anybody that uh, misspent their twenties, is right near the government nightclub. There you that, go. That's how you probably the know old it. government yeah. nightclub. Yeah, yeah. It's no longer there, right? No, no. Yeah. Uh, it's actually kind of interesting because the Naop Development Challenge used that piece of land for their for their competition. Uh, I believe it was last year or the year before and so if I, if I was a participant in that challenge and I put together you know a fictitious proposal that was you know judged by NAOP I would love to see how close I ended up being to what the what, what they're the, gonna end up doing yeah yeah it's you had an LCBO tower there you, you're pretty close probably yeah uh, Hong Kong based Blue Sky Hotels buys Invest REIT for 2.1 billion which includes 109 hotel properties in Canada including Toronto's Fairmont Royal York Hotel it just, uh, I guess, it's further consolidation in a very heated market. Yeah, for those that are keeping track, that's just shy or almost exactly twenty billion dollars worth of transactions in the hotel market just through those two transactions alone. I think if you add up everything else that we talk about today of all the other transactions, that's double, triple, quadruple anything else that's that's occurred in the marketplace. Just insane. Now, that's not all just Canada, of course, right? But that's a lot of it's a lot of money changing hands. On to June? Nope, we got one, one oh, more in sorry. May. Yeah. Uh, industry studies suggest $280 million of office condos have sold oh, in Vancouver yeah. in the last 24 months. I was shocked to hear that. Aaron did a lot of the research for this, so this was new to me. 
that's an incredible number. I mean, I know that here in Toronto, at least, office condos have had mixed results. There's been a you know only only a handful that have you know gone up in the last two years, and I know the sales have been pretty slow for most. I mean, there's been no disasters, but it's not it's definitely not uh, not a, not on fire. But maybe it's a different a different uh, economy of Vancouver, a different perception of of that asset. This is an interesting topic for me because you know you're always looking for what are the new trends, what's what's going on, what's going to happen going forwards, and and office uh, industrial as well, and, and retail, I guess for that matter, uh, condos is I think something that's that's picking up a bit of steam and something that I, we're seeing a little bit more at First National, and I think it's just it's a search for yield, and guys are thinking. You know, if I sell these units at today's prices, it's probably a quicker buck, certainly, just to get in and get out when you de- you develop these office co- office towers and then sell them as condos. And, and the numbers make sense in certain cases. It really does does work that you can build this thing and then sell it for more than you've spent building it as condos. And that works on the industrial side as well as the retail side in certain certain sectors. So I, I or certain cert, sorry certain markets. So I do expect to see a little bit more of this creeping into commercial real estate markets uh, over the next couple of years. Yeah, I'm actually looking at financing an industrial condo conversion right now. Obviously due to privacy laws, I can't go into much further than that, but the numbers are very positive. You know, I would I would invest in this project if given the opportunity. I mean from the equity side, I mean, obviously we're investing it in the debt side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it makes sense. Sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't, but uh, I think if you got the pre-sales, if you're building the right type of structure, if you're building the right sized units uh, for where you're building, it makes sense. Yeah, small bay being the yeah, yeah, and on and the office stuff, you know, you're seeing that it's, you know, it's there's a there's a variety, but it's you know three to five thousand square feet because you, what you're really trying to do is you're trying to find those entrepreneurs that are that don't want to lease that that to them it makes sense to take their company, you know, use a use a line of credit they've got for their 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 corporate assets and and buy it buy the space that they're gonna they're gonna you know, be the tenant for so. Exactly. If you're if you're a dentist or a lawyer and you're you own the practice and you're gonna be there for twenty years, why pay somebody else's mortgage? Yeah, exactly. So, why why rent when you can own it? Yeah. 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 So now now we are on to June. BCIMC creates Quadreal Property Group to develop, acquire, and manage real estate assets around the world. It will start with a portfolio of BCIMC's own eighteen billion dollars in Canadian assets. Remember that name, Quadrio. I mean, it, this was this came out. I mean, I don't think it really shocked, or I don't think it really, you know, got a ton of coverage when it was announced, because um, it kind of just seemed like BCIMC was kind of changing their name or or transitioning uh, some assets into this. But they're going to be a huge player. They 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 hired um, they hired uh, a guy named Remco Dahl away, who was running, who was the CEO of Bentall Kennedy. And so over the last, this was in June when they they announced this creation of this 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 entity. Uh, so over the last six months, I think they've been kind of getting their ducks in line and kind of building a, you know, building the foundation, building the infrastructure, hiring all the people, getting to their new space, and they're gonna um, they're gonna come out in 2017, kicking and screaming, just buying all sorts of things around the world. So you don't be surprised you start seeing quadrille property all over the place. Remember, you heard it here first, yeah, or maybe you heard it back in June. <laughs> <laughs> here second, yeah. <laughs> Kingset Capital and Alberta Investment Management Corp., also known as AIMCO, set to acquire 50% of Scotia Plaza for well over $500 million. Uh, I'll stress the words well over and explain why in a minute. This is Canada's second largest office building from Dream Office REIT. Uh, Dream and H&R REIT had purchased the complex four years ago for $1.3 billion. So Aaron and I were actually discussing this you know, prior, prior to uh, hitting record. 
So obviously, if you're talking about 50% interest at a value of $500 million, that places the total asset value at $1 billion. But four years ago, Dream paid one3 but then we look into the article a further, and it is ambiguous on the actual dollars paid. My first impression was they took a loss on it, which would make no sense given Toronto office space now compared to four years ago. But it sounds like the the final numbers are not actually uh, you know set in stone here. Yeah, I they pay. I can't be. They must be. They must have appreciated in value. I don't think they'd ever sell it. I mean, this is obviously they just needed the cash for their Alberta portfolio and the challenges they're experiencing there. So. It, they must have made money off of that. Yeah, I mean, cap, the cap rate compression from four years ago. Just now, the cap rate yeah. alone, even if rents have been flattered, declining, the cap rate compression would have would have impacted it. Yeah. Next one is a deal that we actually spoke about uh, previously. One of these, uh, one of our one of our podcasts, Rio Can Tricon Capital uh, and Diamond Corp agreed to develop a mixed use retail residential project in Toronto's Midtown. They acquired the land at eighty five million dollars. Yeah, that was uh, the episode with John English uh, from Tricon, and he talked about it a little bit. Although he's being he's being a little bit cagey because he couldn't uh, talk details. Very understandable. We don't uh, we don't hold him against it. But uh, the other the other interesting part of this acquisition is the history of the property. I used to work there. Yes, <laughs> which is why it's worth eighty five million. Yeah, yeah, my hard work when I was uh, twenty two years old has really come to fruition for uh, Rio Cannon Tricon yeah. Diamond Corp right now. Yeah, but it'll, it'll be it'll be a fantastic development. I, for me, the the best line of the episode with John English. There's a, I worked for one of the it's called the Five Thieves because these five stores have such high prices called the Five Thieves. I worked with one of them. So John English's quote was, "We want to turn the Five Thieves into the, into the Twenty Five Thieves," and I thought that was <laughs> that was pretty good. Smart man, he is a smart man. Uh, also in June, uh, the New York-based Kimco Realty Corp exits Canada, selling interest in 17 properties, um, covering an area of 1.8 million square feet. And I think that was retail and some office. To the Vancouver-based Anthem Properties Group, they sold those 17 properties or the interest in those 17 properties for 413 million. That was a big. That's a big transaction. I mean, over over looking through all the everything that occurred in the in the country over the the last uh, twelve months, that four hundred thirteen million was one of the largest acquisitions. Good, well done for Anthem Properties. Yeah, that's a that's a big buy, and I think we also talked about the, the uh, that's that's an exit from the market for Kimco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, I think it's just it's such a competitive market in Canada. The yields are coming down. You know, guys are doing things for. Uh, half what they thought what they were doing it five years ago and so kimco probably just looked at the north american marketplace and said, whoa 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 i can make way more money in dallas and seattle and better return yeah kansas city than i can in vancouver toronto and calgary and they would have just gotten a very nice lift from the, the currency uh currency movement yeah that, all that yeah. well in june yeah no and back in june it still would have been a pretty good trade for them right so yeah, yeah absolutely uh, Synovus Energy looking to fill unused office space and will only fill half of what it agreed to in the new Brickfield Place Calgary Tower vacancy office. This is uh, keep going. Wait, the hottest but, theme. Wait, yeah. but the next one, the next one. Calgary City Center Tower celebrates its Phase One grand opening at ninety-two percent occupancy. That's a good news story. <laughs> That's a good I news like story. It. Yeah, <laughs> I had to put something in there. Calgary, it's not all gloom and doom people are still making money out there that's, yeah. that's the important thing now of course at 92 percent occupancy they might be giving away rent i don't know right <laughs> <laughs> we'll pay you to occupy this space we don't know oh you're raining on their parade <laughs> sorry sorry i'm sure it's doing very well edmonton city councilors approve 45 story condo tower going against city planners who opposed the approval yeah, you know, this is back to this whole theme of the Edmonton Edmonton development, Edmonton growth. Uh, and this one this one was just curious to me that it was um, basically uh, opposed by the city planners who said 
that they didn't like the development, um, quite frankly, because the, the land that was being used and the, the value of the land that was being um, assessed was well above what the guys paid for it. So they were effectively equity equity free in this development. And so the city planners basically kiboshed it. And the city councilors said, no, nah, we're still going ahead. Approved. That's a lot of development. I don't know if you're adding it all up, but it's you know it's eight or nine uh, sort of new towers are being built being approved uh, in the Edmonton Edmonton market, predominantly in the Edmonton core. I, I don't know if the market's there for that or not, but we'll find out. Maybe it's uh, the idea, idea is to just keep the kind of construction juggernaut going. It fills jobs. It's uh, yeah, who knows? Yeah, no, it, it just, like I, like I said it already, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me economically. If, if, if the, if the population is not growing terribly, if the, um, they're not making any more money. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, certainly there's there's obviously jobs there, but you know, it doesn't seem like this. You know, the growing or fast growing economy in Edmonton. Maybe I'm wrong though. July, July was a busy month. We got uh, we got two stories for July. The first one is Tridel Woodburn buy residential component of the well from Rio Can Reit, Alley Properties Reit, and Diamond Court for 180 million dollars. We did talk about this on two episodes, Sean Hildebrand's episode and John English's episode. Yeah, the well is the large development um, right at the corner of Spadina and Wellington. Um, sorry, Spadina in front here in Toronto. Uh, it's be a massive, massive development. This is a big player. Think about that. Tridon, Woodburn, Rio Can, Allied, and Diamond Corp. I mean, you got you know five or six of the sort of the largest development players in in Canada, right yeah, there. That's definitely a dream team of, uh, of developers, <laughs> yeah, but for yeah. a very ambitious project, it's uh, it's it's big. The location is spectacular, though. For those not from Toronto, it is just just off center ice, kind of for the downtown core. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, no, it'll it'll, yeah. it'll be successful yeah. no matter what, especially with those guys. Those, that's a lot of you got a couple hundred years worth of experience just in those those main players, right? And the other the other article, or not sorry, the other the other big piece of news. If you take nothing away from this this uh, summary. Other than this bit of news, it is the Siri podcast launched in July, right at the end. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's probably bigger news to Aaron and I than anybody else. Anybody else, else. But, absolutely. Uh, it is, yeah. yeah, and but my mom. Too. Yeah, so mother is very <laughs> proud. You know, it's funny yeah. looking at all this. I've got you know we were putting together all this research and and you know tried to keep sort of five or six items uh, articles um, per month, and we got to July, and literally there's one. There was only one. Uh, even kind of newsworthy article, and that that's that kind of speaks to the commercial real estate market. Everybody goes on vacation in yeah, July. How's your golf game in yeah. July? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> up at the cottage, hanging out. Yeah, everyone's nice and suntanned. Not a lot happens in this industry in July. No, no, definitely not. August, August. This is a big one. It's front page news for uh, basically every major uh, news uh, news source. Uh, the BC government announces fifteen percent foreign buyers tax. And you know how that impacts commercial real estate is that it also applies to apartment purchases. Yeah, they qualify as residential. The feedback at the time was that that was a surprise. People thought they'd be excluded, just like commercial other commercial real estate was. Uh, obviously, the housing market there kind of stopped on a dime, in part due to the foreign buyers tax. But I cannot imagine what your pro forma would look like when you're looking at buying a property and you now have to build in a fifteen percent tax on the purchase and you're trying to buy an apartment at a three percent cap rate i mean where's the yield it's 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 unimaginable that it won't yeah. have an impact on cap rates moving upwards yeah my the reality is though that 
I think foreign buyers in the apartment space made up five, maybe maybe closer to ten percent of the market to start with. Uh, and 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 the other thing out of the, those that five or ten percent of those foreign buyers, often their motivations are not yield. It's not based on oh, I'm not buying this thing because if I own it for thirty years, I'm going to make you know ten percent of my money. It's the I've got hundreds of millions of dollars in China. I want to get out. And I'm not looking to make money. I'm just looking. The value of them getting the money out of China into another country is greater than any return they're going to get. So an extra 15%, you know, if you're buying a, a $10 million property, now it's $11.5 million, whatever. I'm taking my money out of China. That's of value to me. And putting it to the safest asset class in one of the safest countries. Yeah. yeah. So you're not so, exactly concerned about IRR. Yeah, exactly. And if you look at it on a cap rate perspective, it means, it means the cap rate goes from a 3 cap to a 2.75 cap and... That's, you know, when you're talking cap rates that low, it's irrelevant, yeah. in my mind, anyway. Vale Resorts buys Whistler Blackcomb Holdings for $1.39 billion. Obviously, ski resorts are a fairly niche asset class within real estate. However, my family is involved in Revelstoke uh, Mountain Resort, which is why I know a fair bit about, uh, about this market. Whistler Blackcomb's always been the, the golden child of, of BC, BC being, of course, the hottest ski destination in Canada. When the market in 2008 collapsed, obviously, you know, luxury homes at resorts collapsed. Whistler was the first one to come back and led the pack by, by you know, months, if not years, that their market picked back up. And then after that, other other smaller resorts would have picked back up. Obviously, if you're a U.S. company looking to try and take a take a, a large ski asset in in Canada, Whistler Blackcomb would be it. Vale Resorts is a very large operator based out of Colorado. Colorado, yeah. And it's yeah, this, this purchase this purchase makes a lot of sense. I did I did, in this research. I mean, we didn't put it in here, but I did see that Whistler Blackcomb was ranked the number one ski resort destination in the world. I'm not sure who was ranking them, but not surprising to me at all. Another another item that was interesting, just on the same niche, uh, you know, commercial real estate market is uh, Grouse Mountain is for sale. The the, the family run uh, Grouse Mountain for about forty years, which is sort of just just north of the Vancouver core. They've listed um, they've listed that uh, that uh, that mountain for sale, that resort for sale. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously you're right. Anytime you get a ski resort beside a major market, it's yeah. It's, yeah, no, I'm sure there. I don't, I don't. I didn't see when I was reading the, that article. I did not see the price. Uh, maybe it wasn't. Uh, they, maybe they didn't have a price. Maybe it was just an open bid, and I didn't see that it had closed yet. So that that might still be. So if you're looking to buy a a ski resort, Grouse Mountain is for sale. Sadly, we probably won't finance it for you. <laughs> no, <laughs> probably not. All right, back to back to our number one theme. Calgary downtown core office vacancy tops 21.6%. I believe we actually covered this on one of the podcasts when it went north of 20. Here, this is back in August. Uh, it's, you know, 21.6. You know, obviously, the, you know, the pain continues to deepen over the course of the year for Calgary office. And it keeps getting worse. Back to Dream Office, read more office news. They, they had to write down um, their, their Alberta portfolio by $675 million dollars. You know, it's not terribly shocking. Again, it's just wrong place, wrong time. They were they were sort of long Alberta uh, real estate, and and got caught when the market they were, they were overpaying um, in the belief that you know you overpay in 2014, but by 2016 or 18, it's going to be you know, you're going to look smart. Um, but it just didn't happen this way. Yeah, my dad's uh, always said that about real estate. It's better to be lucky than smart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
they, they were unlucky. Yeah. <laughs> they might be smart, but they were unlucky. What can you do? Halifax. The port of Halifax tops all ports in North America with its ability to receive bigger cargo ships coming through the new Suez and Panama canals. Obviously, Halifax economy is based off of, you know, cargo ships. This is great news for Halifax, for, you know, for Canada as a whole. Obviously, as a, you know, we're a major exporter, so we need to get product out. Uh, so, yeah, it's nothing but good news for Halifax. I like Halifax. I think it's a great market. And so I'm happy to see this. This is good. This is good news for the Halifax market. Yeah. Uh, and, then you know, it's it's kind of the slow and steady now, sort of as Winnipeg was before. There's, there, this is the only real major article news newsworthy article that, that kind of came out throughout the year in Halifax there's no you know you know mention of major you know multi-billion dollar developments going on no one's building you know 60 story towers downtown Halifax but they are there's some development going there are guys out there that are that are building condos that are uh, kind of slow and steady everything seems to make sense they're they're doing it methodically they're doing it properly uh, all the economics make sense there's good job growth good education there's some service there it's a nice little market CHC student housing to merge with Dundee acquisition. Dundee earmarking 113 million for 12 off-campus university residences. Uh, I believe, Aaron, you know more about this than than I do. Yeah, you know, it's I'm a bit surprised because you know, student housing was one of those sort of alternative assets that everyone kind of thought was going to continue to grow. And, and when CHC was going about acquiring these assets, it kind of seemed it made sense just notionally anyway. That um, yeah, I can see how. Rather than selling, you know, rather than renting units, you know, three bedroom units at, you know, whatever it is per square foot, call it two and a half bucks per square foot. If you rent them as rooms, you get five bucks a square foot. So there's a sort of a, a embedded yield by renting it out on a per room basis. And if you do it properly, and it seemed to make sense because the expenses don't really change. I mean, maybe you pay a little bit more for hydro use and that kind of thing, but repairs and maintenance would be higher. Yeah, than repairs and maintenance students. certainly be higher. Yeah, certainly. But but it, it seemed to make sense. So I, I was a bit surprised, and I and I don't know, I don't know the the. Nitty gritty as to what acquire what would occur, but but certainly Dundee coming in uh, and 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 merging or, or or partnering with CHC was a necessity. But I'd like to believe that um, they'll get it sorted out and keep keep growing and keep acquiring assets. Fortress announces that Barry Collier Center making progress at eighty percent. So this is the eighty uh, percent, sorry, eighty percent completed and seventy out of eighty-two units sold. So this is back to our comment that Fortress did step in. I mean that that Barry Condo project did hit a snag, but is um, Seems like it's going to be done, and it, this is in August, so I, I think they've topped out now, and I, I would imagine that uh, units are being occupied, if not today, tomorrow kind of thing. Yeah, it was good to see them step up that way. September. On to September. CPPIB buys 1.1 billion stake in 4.2 million square feet of downtown office space in Calgary and Toronto from Omer. So there's a little bit of good news that you've got Canadian Pension Plan investing in, in Calgary office. Now I don't know the details, but I'm sure I'm sure they're looking at it. I mean, obviously it's the, it's the CPPIB. They're looking at it from a I'm going to hold this for 50 years, so today's prices are probably a, a steal for me. But it is an interesting purchase, and they got Cal- Calgary and Toronto. Toronto being arguably the hottest office market. Yeah, they probably right overpaid now. for Toronto, underpaid for Calgary, yeah. and it all balances <laughs> out in the end. Right? They're happy, very happy in the end. Yeah. The Davimco project called Solar Unicortier. Hopefully I pronounced that properly. It's a $1 billion mixed-use development on the south shore of Montreal is announced. What was curious about this is that it included a light trail, light rail train station. And the development is described uh, in, in, the, in the news source as the biggest mixed property project in Quebec. 
let me go back here. Montreal is a challenging market from a commercial real estate perspective because there's a very European sort of vibe to the collective consciousness in, in the sense that most people rent, right? It's a it's a significant renter's market. There are, I mean, if you look at the numbers, it's staggering. And I'll, I'll make them up, but they'll be close. Uh, across Canada, there are something like 15,000 apartment buildings, something like that. And then in Montreal, there's eight thousand. Like it's 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 they're half half of the apartment buildings across the country are in Montreal because they are a renters market and they're all these sort of five six seven unit buildings. You know there are there are neighborhoods just full of five and six unit buildings. Uh, anyway, so what I what I'm what I'm getting at is the fact that these guys are building you know significant condo towers, uh, like a billion dollar project must include multiple towers. Is, is is a bit of a um, it was a leap that you're going to find the buyers in that Montreal. Now it's in the South Shore, so it's obviously in a great location, and that's that's probably the draw for proceeding with this type of development. But as you mentioned, I mean, it's Montreal's got its challenges, but it is the second largest uh, city in the in the country. Yeah, and it, but it doesn't generally attract projects with price tags of a billion dollars. You don't see that as often as you see it in the other major markets in the, in the country. And, you know, as, as this as this um, this development, you know, becomes more public and they, they announce what their the, the plans and what it looks like, you know, who knows if they're building what kind of, um, you know, retail and, and other, other entities within the mixed-use project, it'll be attractive to, to live there. Calgary's office vacancy rate nears 25%. So we started at 18% in January. Now we're in September and it's 25%. So that's a, a 7% increase just in the just in that seven, eight-month span. Even even last month, it was at 21.6. I mean, it uh, yeah. obviously, obviously continues to get worse. The other one, that's, and this is back to this, this theme, Edmonton's office vacancy now hits 12% in September, which is... Interesting, right? It, it, again, it, they're they're not building a ton of office, but there are there's that again there's that that Stantec, um, sixty story tower going in. So, you know, it's not a frothy market yet. Yet they keep they keep seeming to approve new developments. And you know what I hear as well as some owners are contemplating residential repositioning, which. Uh, would have his challenges as well, given that the apartment market there isn't that strong. Yeah, I know. That certainly, there's one tower there was an old office building that they've just retrofitted uh, and turned it into turned it into apartments, which might be a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Toronto announces potential plan to purchase the air rights from CP Rail to develop Rail Deck Park at an estimated cost of one billion dollars. It's a stretch over the rail yards right in downtown Toronto. It's been in the news a lot here. Yeah, this was an interesting couple of weeks, right? Because they came out and the city's contemplating doing this, and it's kind of flashy. And you know, all the newspapers, you know, picked it up, put a big picture of this beautiful-looking green, lush park over top of the rail lines, and everyone was like, "Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, we need more parks downtown." Well, especially given that however many units of condos have gone up there in the last ten years, and they need, you know, they need amenities like this. Yeah, there's the hundreds of thousands of more people living downtown Toronto, and so you need you need that park space. You certainly do. Uh, but then, of course, a couple of weeks later, some developers put their hand up and says, "Well, but but I own that land. I I bought that land years ago." <laughs> <laughs> and I have real respect for the vision that would see that opportunity. However many years ago, it's uh, I, if I was approached by somebody saying, "Hey, want to buy the air rights over the." Over the uh, train yard and see what happens. I would probably not jump into that no, opportunity. Well, but I, now they look like geniuses. If you put the if you put the um, if you connect the dots, it the that purchase apparently um, that purchase of that rail yard over top of the, the the air rights over top of the rail yard in Toronto, align with the purchase of the air rights over the rail line 
uh, in New York City, and that's the that's the Hudson um, the Hudson Yards project that's being being developed now. There's massive massive development. So it might have been that they said, "Oh, wait a minute, those guys are buying that those air rights in in downtown Manhattan. Though that makes sense. Let me go and see if I can approach CP." And and CP probably said, "What you want to do? What you want to give me millions of dollars to buy air rights? Yeah, you're an idiot. Sure, here, yeah." They were probably laughing uh, at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll take your money. Right? <laughs> I would definitely sell the, sell the air rights over my house, given the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, October. Costco announces their intention to expand aggressively in Canada over the next fiscal year, opening seven new stores in 2017. Uh, what immediately springs to my mind is, of course, is what impact does this have on you know Loblaws and Sobeys? You know, in the commercial real estate world, specifically to retail, you know, if there's anything approaching royalty, it's Shoppers Drug Mart, Loblaws, and Sobeys. But you got to wonder how much of an impact Costco is having on their purchasing base. I mean, I know that every time you go to a Costco on a Saturday, you can't breathe in there. It's absolutely packed with people that would otherwise be buying, you know, spending their $500 at Loblaws or Sobeys. This makes me think of there's, there's this unique intricacy in commercial real estate, particularly in commercial real estate lending, and that is collecting the sales information from the tenants. So in Canada, uh, it's very, very difficult. And let me just explain that. So I'm looking at uh, financing a retail plaza and there's a Loblaws there. I want to know, is this a strong Loblaws or a weak Loblaws? Is this a Loblaws that's selling, um, you know, is this one of their better ones selling a whole bunch of groceries or is this one of the struggling ones? You know, and AKA, what is the likelihood that Loblaws continues to reside in this location? If it's struggling, are they going to renew their lease when it expires, Right. In Canada, it's very, very difficult to get tenants to divulge that information. In the U.S., it's it's practically mandatory. Uh, it's just one of those things in the U.S. that it's just it's done. It's normal. Everybody does it. It's just not expected to. But in Canada, uh, for whatever reason, those tenants just kind of hold that information back and don't let you don't let you see it. So the lenders often you kind of you may, might do a site inspection and go on a Wednesday morning and get a, do a litmus test and kind of say how busy is it? How busy should it be? Am I comfortable? Does it seem like it makes sense? You know, are they you know y- yada yada yada. Well, I know as a lender, I've had to go to retail locations and sit there over lunch just to see how busy how busy it is to get the sense because you just have no other you have there's no other way to really garner how well the tenants are doing right yeah but sales data would be much preferred obviously yeah, saying, yeah it looked pretty busy yeah. <laughs> uh so you, you know now i've got a loblaws and a costco moves in a couple kilometers away i'd be really curious uh to see how that impacts the loblaws sales yeah and just another note you know i got a costco near my house it's packed all the time like people line up like line up out in their cars, sitting in their cars, lined up out down around the corner, waiting for a parking spot just to get in on a Saturday. It's insane. I love Costco personally. So yeah, me I too. See why. Yeah. I go once a year though because I can't, <laughs> I can't handle it other than that. OTPP buys Constellation Brands Canada. Uh, I found this interesting. So Constellation Brand is a uh, producer and operator of beer and wine and beer, wine and spirits. Uh, but I think most importantly, they are the owner of 163 wine rack retail locations in Ontario. So the OTPP Ontario Teachers Pension Plan spent a billion dollars, just over a billion dollars, to buy a whole bunch of liquor distribution s- stores. One of the few private retailers of uh yeah look in the country yeah so um if you're a teacher uh or you know a teacher their um their pension is now backed by distribution and sales of wine or if you're married to a teacher like aaron is yes yeah yes yeah. yeah, so i'm happy time, about this yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're supporting him next time go you, nuts uh, buy yeah drink. go buy please go to the wine rack <laughs> buy a couple of bottles of wine 
A co-star group listed in Fortune Magazine's 100 Fastest Growing Companies. It announced it's hiring another 730 researchers and software developers in Richmond. We use CoStar here and have been for about a, about a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great yeah so, so CoStar, they're, they're pretty developed in, in the U.S. and they, they've kind of moved into Canada in the last couple of years. They've got a ton of information on on commercial real estate properties and predominantly the leasing, right? They, what they did a very good at and what they were known for, uh, my understanding anyway, is that is is for the leasing information. So if you were a, a leasing agent, it was it was a great just a gold mine of information to be able to collect what other leases are, are being charged, uh, what other rents are being charged in the neighborhood, or what leases are coming due, and you know what tenants should I approach, you know, and just really get a good understanding of what's going on in the marketplace. It's a good. It's a great. It is a great tool. Yeah, and they're they're new to the market, but really making a big presence. Yeah, they've opened. Yeah. They, they're in Toronto, I believe. They're in Calgary, Vancouver, um, Ottawa. Uh, they, they are expanding to Halifax. Like they really are. They are becoming national in scope. Uh, and we will try to have somebody from CoStar on in a future podcast. So keep an eye out for that. American company Fundrise, a crowdfunding company, launches two new opportunistic REITs and seeks to raise fifty million each for real estate development projects and multifamily properties. This obviously example of you know America's uh, step into crowdfunding very different than the Canadian experience. They're talking you know big numbers. They're getting deals done. Here we're not. It could just be a, a cultural change. You know the way that we view crowdfunding here. At least we know this is all anecdotal, of course, just from speaking with you know market participants. It brings uneducated or unsophisticated investors into commercial real estate and projects maybe they don't understand or they then get burned on. That's yeah, you know, it's really interesting because in the U.S., you know, that's why we put this in here. In the U.S., it seems to be something that is picking up steam and, and it seems to be being done by uh, reputable sources and it seems to be growing quickly. In in Canada, I mean, other than Fortress, um, there just hasn't really, doesn't really seem to be anybody doing it successfully. Uh, and even Fortress, I mean, go just Google Go just Google syndication syndicated mortgages in Canada, and it's quickly you know articles that flood that say oh syndication is dangerous and this is why you know you know we don't trust it and it's it's just, there's a lot of sort of negativity around around the concept of crowdfunding and and and, and raising money through um, through you know internet websites and things like that and there's just there's just been nobody in Canada that, that is a, of you know reputation that can say hey listen trust me I'm going to be able to do this properly people buy into it it just it has it hasn't been able to find its foothold. It's just interesting that in the U.S. it seems to be growing quickly. And maybe that, that'll change. Maybe somebody out there will eventually be able to do it properly, but it just hasn't been able to be... It, just hasn't, it hasn't taken taken hold in Canada yet. November. Ooh. Good month. The concept of omni-channel retail slowly creeps its way into the collective social psyche. Colliers International announced $23 billion of what it calls non-retail sales occurring in 2015, 4.7% of all retail sales for the year. For whatever reason, November became the e-commerce month. I mean, this so this was an announcement, right, uh, that 2015, I don't know why it took them so long to, to crunch the numbers, but in the year 2015, 4%, 4.7% of all retail sales, that's North America, 4.7% uh, of all retail sales were done online. And that, that, that introduced this concept of omni-channel. And if you don't know what that is, Google it, because it's not simple to explain. But effectively what it means is that um, the user experience, the retail experience is consistent throughout 
your retail purchase process, right? So from the website, from the from the app that you use to the website you go to, to it being delivered at your house, or you going to the store, or or however however your experience is, it, it is it is consistent and comfortable. A lot of this is driven by the speed at which you can have deliveries. You know, I, I think I've used this example before. You know, my mother who lives in the U.S. she can go online buy seven shirts in seven different colors and two different sizes, have all, you know, 21 shirts delivered at her house, try them all on, pick one, put 20 back into the box, go back online, click return, money is rechanged and picked up an hour later. She can do that all within within a day. Um, and that's that's sort of this sort of omni, omni-channel concept that it's just so easy for her, this retail experience. Doesn't have to go to a store, doesn't have to, doesn't have to worry about it. We actually did talk about... Uh, the kind of shift in retail to accommodate this new omnichannel reality in episode, I think it was five, but uh, Adam Bent from This Open Space, that was his episode, uh, discussed one aspect of this anyway, about the way bricks and mortar retail are, are adapting to this new reality. Yeah, one of the curious things that, that Adam had, had mentioned that I'm still batting around in my head is that you know Walmart is going to start using uh, this concept of a moving sort of one one store moving around. So you can go, I guess, go online, but when you want to, you know, touch and feel the product, you can go to this Walmart store that's kind of moving around. It's not a big store; it's you know a couple thousand square feet. That's it. And maybe that's where you pick it up. You know, another comment that that that's interesting is you know, yes, four point seven percent is a lot, but it's not as much as I thought it would be. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I'm I'm sure 2016 is going to be bigger. But it, this is not the demise of retail. I mean, some people are out there saying, you know, retail is dying, and you know, it's a, it's it's people are never going to. It's going to become a point where we don't even need, we don't even have stores. But I, I, I get the feeling. I mean, walk around the Eaton Center before Christmas. I mean, people people are still going to the stores and still buying things the old fashioned way, aka, you know, you want to touch and feel and hold this thing before you purchase it. And I don't think that's going away. I think there's always going to be that this sort of textile need for us to kind of hold it. Now, some people I think are more adept or more uh, open and willing to just trust that what they order online is going to be what they want. But I certainly prefer to go to the store. I don't know. Maybe I'm old. I like buying online and I'm a little older than you. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> Peach their own. Yeah. <laughs> Just on that same on that same tread, um, Hudson Bay Company announced that 750,000 square foot e-commerce uh, distribution facility that they're opening up, and Canadian Tire announced in November uh, that they're going to be shifting a lot of their capital towards e-commerce and away from physical stores. So that, you know that that is at part of the trend, right? The 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 retailers, the major retailers, are acknowledging that they can't ignore it, they can't fight it. So you know, may as well join them. I bought my wife's Christmas present online from Hudson's Bay, so there you go. I've already I've already given them a small return on uh, their their <laughs> large large investment. <laughs> Good for them. Uh, the Canadian federal government announces eighty one billion in infrastructure or capital works over the next decade. In total, the federal government plans to spend one hundred and eighty billion in the coming decade on things like public transit, transportation, green infrastructure, and social infrastructure, which would include affordable housing. Obviously, the downside of this, as we see in the headlines, is the considerable deficit that will be incurred in the process. But I know in a number of cities across Canada, this kind of spending was long overdue. If uh, you look at it from a landlord perspective, we call it deferred capex. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good thing, I think, in the long run. Of course, also in November, um, 
we had an election in our uh, in, in the U.S. and the the Trump uh, the Trump election. You know, we'll leave that alone. But but it, what it did what it did trigger was sort of this Trump rally. I think they're calling it. And more importantly, to us sitting as lenders at First National was the bond sell off, the significant bond sell off. So on November seventh, the day before the elections, the five year Government of Canada bond. Uh, which is the base index that typically drive um, mortgage interest rates in the commercial real estate world, uh, was 62 or 63 basis points. So 0.63% was the return on a five-year GOC. Now, today, um, or at least this week, it's 120 basis points or 1.2%. So the, the, the yield on the Government of Canada bond has doubled since the election of Trump in a 45-day span, 60-day span. So um, what that means... I'm not too sure yet, but it means interest rates have gone up. They've gone up 60 basis points. The base index bond uh, has doubled in, in, in a 45-day span. How does that impact cap rates? I don't know. Actually, I saw an interesting graph a couple, a couple days ago that was showing the spread between cap rates and mortgage interest rates and how it's actually wider today than it was in 2005, 2006, 2007. So I don't know if this actually means that cap rates are going to start going up. Maybe it means that cap rates don't go down as aggressively as they have been over the last couple of years. Um, But it certainly seems like there's some room between interest rates and cap rates for interest rates to rise a little bit for them not to have a significant impact or any impact at all on, on, on market cap rates. Yeah. I mean, it definitely would provide upward pressure. It's just, there's also a lot of factors providing downward pressure. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think I think you know if you wanted to play if you wanted to play that um, read the tea leaves, you'd probably need another hundred basis points on that index on that Government of Canada bond uh, for it to have any real real play. Do I believe that interest rates will go up another hundred basis points over the next year? You know, probably not. I mean, it, I think something something significant in the marketplace would have to happen um, in the the global marketplace would have to happen for that for the for rates to rise that much. But maybe you never know. Something something twice as significant as Trump getting elected in order to go the full hundred. Yeah, well, you never know, points. right? I mean, it it, it kind of creeped up pretty quickly up to this one hundred and twenty basis points of one point two percent when he gets inaugurated on what, June twentieth, whatever the date is. Maybe it goes up more. I don't know. I, I really don't know. We'll see. RealCan announces a transition away from its acquisition strategy toward development. So, you know, we mentioned earlier, I think it was in June that that RealCan was doing a large development. They were obviously uh, partnering with our our buddy John English at Tricon for that purchase in Toronto. They announced a large development um, in Calgary, 700,000 square feet. So they obviously had had made this transition or started to make this transition. But this was sort of an official announcement where where Ed Sunshine had kind of said, no, no, we're we're really no longer looking at the acquisition game. Uh, and, and I'm sure they would if they find sort of the, the gem. But I, I think the reality is the low-hanging fruit or the the the, um, the easy you know purchase reposition you know build a bunch of value just by finding some some inefficiencies is gone. I think all all those assets where you know hey if I just buy this and put a couple million bucks in capex and find some new tenants I'm going to create you know a whole bunch of value and then there's not a lot of assets like that out there in in the canadian marketplace and that's just, this is just real can acknowledging that saying okay well how do we keep keep the yield that we need well we gotta start developing i think it's just not real can as well i know a lot of other yeah. reits are getting into it for the same logic just to maintain uh increased yield yeah uh december almost uh almost, almost done at the end yeah yeah, and Ed, again, it was we'd actually done a lot this month because I'm sure that uh, for at least half of December, everybody's focused on family parties, all the all the usual. Yeah, yeah. not working. Yeah, listening <laughs> to podcasts, hopefully. <laughs> 
You know, this is the, the the first one here is probably the most interesting to me, and that's that Amazon unveiled this technology that eliminates the checkout lines. I don't know if you saw this video, but you 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 scan your phone when you walk in, and you go and you grab what you want, and you walk out, and it just automatically charges you for whatever you grab. So I guess that means that there are microchips on every item in the store, and you just kind of walk in, grab a bunch of stuff, throw it in your bag, and walk out. And my brain goes, yeah, of course. Why hasn't that already happened? Why hasn't that happened everywhere? I, I don't. I, why do I have to pay for things now, or, or why do I have to physically pay for things? Why can't it just automatically charge me? I, I love the idea of a world where I can just literally wander around grabbing stuff and put it in my bag, and it just automatically gets you know withdrawn from my account. Well, the funny thing too with this is obviously every time technology kills jobs, people you know talk about that, and this will kill jobs, but it will also kill off the self checking out. Uh, robots that they installed in the last couple of years so you've got technology killing off technology in this case yeah i think it's i mean it's natural evolution of where things are going with smartphones and you know just the connectivity of everything Uh, lowe's canada to convert 40 rona big box stores in 2017 so this this um dovetails with the story from february where where rona announced the acquisition of of lowe's um sorry lowe's announced the acquisition of rona for 3.2 billion uh, and here's now at the end of 2017 or 2016 that they're now saying, okay, now here's what we're going to do. We, we bought these things and we're now going to take away the Rona name and put Lowe's on it. I think Makes some, perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think some people were a little upset because some people, I think, had an attachment to the Rona uh, given the Canadian, the longstanding Canadian brand. Um, but, I mean, certainly if you pay $3.2 billion, it's your prerogative to do whatever you want. <laughs> so you want to put Lowe's on the, on the Rona sign, go right ahead. Last one, do you want to take it? No, go ahead. Yeah. McKesson. Thank you. <laughs> McKesson has to sell 26 Rexall stores in order to win approval from the Competition Bureau for its deal to buy Rexall Health Pharmacy chain. That was actually another February announcement where, where McKesson had announced that they're going to buy Rexall for $3 billion. And so I found it curious that the, the Competition Bureau kind of came in and said, no, no, you're going to sell 26 stores. I don't know what the total is, but for $3 billion, I'm sure it's it's a significant number of stores. It's a couple hundred at least. So for them to say, well, you got to sell 26, I'm sure McKesson said, oh, yeah, okay. Like, yeah. Why, are you, why are you even bothering? Yeah. But okay, fine. Let's do it. Yeah. So that is that is the year in summary. I think we ran a little longer than uh, normal this time, but I hope everybody liked it. I want to thank Aaron because he did most, if not all, of the research for this, and it looked like a, a lot of work. So no, I owe, I owed Adam because he does the majority of the or all of the editing. So he puts the <laughs> editing time in. I figured I may as well spend you know a couple hours doing all this research. It's it's only fair. I take out all the the usual incredible amount of profanity. Yeah, <laughs> we've been sitting here for six hours recording this episode. It's going to end up being forty five minutes long. Uh, so it's the end of the year. Obviously, the end of our first year of of podcasting. I've definitely liked it quite a lot. If anybody cares, the most popular episode of the year was episode four with Ryan McCaskill. It was uh, syndicating private equity. I think I said at the start of that episode, everybody in commercial real estate has a little bit of a you know a dream that they would pack it in, switch to syndicating private equity, do their own thing. And apparently they do because that uh, that was yeah. the runaway <laughs> the <most> successful favorite. <laughs> episode. And, and Ryan's chugging along. We'll have we'll have um, Mr. McCaskill back uh, sometime in, in 2017 to give us an update of where he's going. So yeah, likely definitely. that'll be the second most popular episode. Yeah. Thanks very much. Happy New Year, everybody. 
Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.